welcome to The Pot of Gold, where we talk all things precious metals and their markets. Today, we look at why the higher for longer rate narrative is here to stay. We ask, have equity markets factored this in? And what does this mean for gold? I'm your host, Shay Russell, and joining me today is Nick Frappel, ABC Refinery's Global Head of Institutional Markets. Nick, how are you, mate? I'm extremely well. It's delightful to actually see you face to face rather than bar a uh, Riverside pool. <laughs> it's actually great to be in the same room together, Nick. Now, I have uh, we haven't spoken uh, about gold and silver and markets and all their turbulence in the, for a little bit, so we need to bring everybody up to speed. So, first of all, before we talk about uh, the Fed's latest moves and how the Aussie dollar continues to get uh, bashed around, I would like to talk about managed money and what it's signalling about gold. And also, too, let's take a look at physical ETF positioning uh, and see if that reveals anything about sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, going to look, look at looking at managed money, it's kind of more of the same, uh, which shouldn't be interpreted in a, in a kind of bad way. But, you know, we've seen managed money longs more or less unchanged. They're slightly lower, just over 7.2 million ounces, Shorts, on the other hand, increased substantially. They increased just over 11 million ounces, uh, increasing by 1.18 million ounces in total. That means the net position is now slightly lower. Uh, it took the net, net shorts to minus 3.88 million, almost 4 million ounces short, simply put. That's not quite the shortest it's been this year, uh, which was late September, net short of 4.4, but it's one of the shortest positions, and that's a continuation of the sort of theme that we've had for the last couple of weeks. Looking at gold ETF, ETF length, that declined again. Gold ETF length is just under 94 million triances. So again, we're seeing more of the same ETFs, uh, bleeding lower and um, shorts fairly comfortable really to, to, to get shorter. So but that, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the VWAP, I'll just get back to the VWAP in a little while, um, but what's happening in terms of targets and so on. Uh, when I look back at the last podcast, we had resistance pegged at what, 1672 US dollars, 1680. That came from the daily standard line and the weekly turning line. Now, the price did bounce up uh, uh, since then, and a high was about US dollars, 1675. Then dropped back and then had a later attempt, think after the FMC, USD, 1668 or so. Um, so those resistance levels that we looked at were pretty reliable. Um now, we did talk about the price angling towards the 1620s, and when I wrote this, I hadn't done that yet, but it did it overnight. And that's, um, it had held the 1631 level, but then, you know, the push lower uh, did go through. I, th- I kind of think that those 1620 levels represent an opportunity to get long. Gold absorbed the FOMC talk fairly well initially. Um, I clearly took the majority view that 75 basis points is a very likely outcome. Um, and additionally, if, just going back to the shorts we were talking about, the propensity for the market to add shorts recently suggests that the price will find a bid on dips. Um, and of course, we've gone there and it has found a good dip, uh, bid because we're back at 1642. So um, looking at where, just want to look at a couple of other things which we don't often talk about, but that's um, just looking at where the option open interest uh, lies. You know, are there any notable sort of points to raise there? Um, got three notable strike levels. Got um, USD 1600, 1650, and 1700. Those are the most notable strikes on the December contract, which I think, practically speaking, is the one we want to look at. 
Um, probably not wildly different in terms of OTC. And the reason why I mention them is because there's a tendency for the price to tend towards those strikes as a kind of attractors, if you like, or zones of attraction as market participants who trade volatility rather than directionality hedge their gamma. So I think they're worth uh, just noticing that there, you know, there is some decent open interest there. So that's um, silver. Uh, again, managed money long is more or less unchanged. 170 million, 77 million ounces. It's a really, really small reduction in length. Managed money shorts, actually, likewise, they reduced about to, to about 216 million ounces. Percentage-wise, it's almost the same, same reduction. Net positioning staying around 39 million ounces uh, short. Now, open interest since October the 25th hardly changed at all. It's within 1% of the Tuesday open interest figure. So there's really very little information that we can uh, draw out from that. Technically, look, silver broke above the daily cloud resistance in late October, and recent drops in the price found support at the 18, 19, 19, 20 level, um, which is roughly where the cloud is now. The rally, uh, one important thing to note is the rally up to the 2008 high uh, stopped right at the weekly standard line and just pulled right back. Um, on the downside, I think the critical area is below 18 US dollars because below that level and those target upside, upside targets um, just get rubbed out, basically. And those targets that are referred to medium term, they extend to 2043, 2150 US dollars and $23, a little bit above that as well. And that's in line with what we said in the previous podcast. So the new new positions that were created in the week ending uh, 25th of October, of course, we, so there were not, not many new positions. They came in at a VWAP of US dollar 1884, and the price is up writing uh, 1922 below an I suspect. Silver ETF behavior, again, length of our ETFs declined a little more. It's now at 764 million triances. C resistance, uh, you know, talking about those upside targets. So C resistance at 1945 and US dollar 20, 20 US dollars. Um, and that's coming from the weekly standard line on the 3rd of November. Um, weekly cloud base still above us, uh, comes in overhead at 23 and a half bucks. That's quite a way away. And it stays at that level until mid December before turning lower. So that's the level where, you know, if there was a decent rally in, all of those medium-term targets that we talked about are below there, or below or up to there. It's where you'd really expect to see some um, decent resistance on a powerful rally. And actually, I said silver probably lower earlier on. Actually, it's had a decent rally uh, just just while I was out. Um, so this is what comes when you're writing something one day and then quickly amending the following day. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Nick, I'm going to stop you there for just a second. Uh, you're going to make me obsolete if you keep skipping subjects. I didn't even get to ask you about silver today. You just let it all roll off yeah, the tongue. Yeah. Hey, sorry, I just kind of carried on. All right, Nick, let's shift gears and get to the macro part of our conversation. And once again, our macro conversation is very much dominated by interest rates and what the Fed did next, or really what the Fed did this week. So at the November FOMC this week, the Fed increased rates 75 basis points, which was largely expected. Though it's worth noting, before I get to my actual question, that this is the sixth, sixth consecutive increase and the fourth straight 75 basis point increase since the Fed began raising rates. Now, the Fed funds rates is now at a level not seen since 2018, which was 14 years ago. 
With the Fed funds rate at 4%, what do terminal rate expectations look like and how is the Fed communicating their next moves to the market? Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. Although for all that talk that, uh, you know, and, and uh, discussion around the Fed's the pivoting and so on and so forth, 75 basis points is what the market predicted and or assessed a very high probability to assign a very high probability to and, and, and 75 basis points is what we got. So what did the Fed say? I mean, it reiterated its commitment to returning inflation, of course, to its 2% objective and anticipates that ongoing increases in the target rate it will be appropriate with caveats around both the cumulative impacts and you refer to the cumulative impact just how much we've seen in terms of tightening this year and also the lagging impacts um, that rate rises have on economic activity. Of course, they're going to say that. Um, what does that mean for the terminal rate? What's the, the market pricing? Moment, if I look at uh, market pricing, terminal rate comes in at 5.1% or 5.08% maybe. Um, now, that compares to the terminal rate of 4.42% on October the 3rd. Uh, and if I go back to the 2nd of September, 3.83. So the terminal rate's really, really moved higher um, and higher and uh, for longer as well. So looking at the market implied rate for December of next year, um, now that was uh, about 3.5%. Um, now it's 482 uh, so again, you know, the higher for longer narrative, you know, is definitely, definitely remains in place. And sure, I mean, they will be following data, no doubt about it. Um, that's, that's kind of a given. But for the time being, you know, the Fed is, is, you know, not, not changing course at all. Well, 10 year tips, so the yields are moving higher. And of course, that feeds back into lower gold. Um, so that's why. Uh, gold ultimately um, got a push lower through 1620. Um, if you look at 10-year tip yields, they're pushing pushing higher for sure. And one of the um, bigger questions is, I mean, you know, uh, this is a kind of a complete rhetorical question, obviously, but, you know, are bond and equity ma uh, markets pricing those expectations in? Of course, futures uh, and OS uh, are driving those rate expectations, that, you know, terminal rate expectations that we were just talking about. Bond markets, yes, almost certainly pricing in those uh, those expectations in. Are equity markets pricing those expectations in? I haven't got an answer to that, so I'm just putting that out there. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly a disagreement about. Well, there's there's, certain, there's certainly plenty of scope for a dis for a disagreement or a debate about how much they're pricing it in. Have they priced in sufficiently, um, or? Uh, you know, is the outlook a lot sunnier for the for the U.S. economy and the world economy overall uh, than, than than you know perhaps uh, equity bears are are saying? All right, Nick. Let's continue our discussion about the Australian dollar. Now, this is a discussion we've had off and on over the the course of the year, and your calls have been almost pitch perfect every step of the way, and that's uh, you know down to your incredible technical analysis skills. But what I want to know from here is, um, with, as the Aussie dollar continues to struggle, what I want to know is, are commodity prices dragging it down? Is it because of the rate differential between the US and Australia? Or is the Australian dollar being whipped around as a result of negative Chinese economic news? Well, I'm blushing with the, uh, the uh, kind of, um, thank you very much for saying that about the, the Aussie dollar, hopefully stick to being more or less on target going forward. Um, look, I'll, 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 uh, I think there's a combination of all three. Um, of course, the RBA has you know, gone switched to a 25 basis point um, 
uh, sort of program of rises, whereas you're seeing 75 basis point uh, rises uh, coming through with the with the Fed. So that's certainly adding to the, um, the sort of the yield gap uh, yield gap difference, and also at the same time um, the expected terminal rate. Uh, at the moment, cash rate futures imply a terminal rate for the Aussie of four percent. We're seeing um, the same same uh, sort of terminal rate expectations in the US. Just mentioned just over five percent. So that's that tells me, although they both look like in their own ways, longer longer for higher or higher for longer um, is the case for the Aussie as well. With that um, implied terminal rate pretty much staying flat from from uh, the middle of uh, from August actually onwards, July August onwards. Um, Nonetheless, there's, a, there's still like a, a, a reasonable uh, yield gap there. So that's one part of the issue. Um, I think the other part of the issue, yeah, it's um, declining. It's concerns over um, how the economy will grow next year. And, and, and of course, China is still part of that equation. So I think it's all three of them really uh, acting, acting in concert to kind of keep the, keep the um, Aussie slightly at bay. And, you know, Interestingly, you know, even with a you know really impressive trade surplus, I think it was what twelve, almost twelve and a half billion, twelve point four four billion um, Aussie. Uh, the Aussie wasn't particularly well bid. Although I think going back to what we were talking about in the last podcast, I think we talked about um, medium term targets going to 0.65 against the US dollar and 0.67, and I think 0.65 um, was achieved pretty quickly. And then, of course, you know, once that that uh, energy was sort of been expended, the price rolled back away and has as, as, as eased back a bit. It's probably a couple of things we can say about um, positioning without going into a real deep dive about you know every single aspect of positioning. But um, levered fund positioning saw a pretty good increase in short positioning in the week ending the twenty fifth of October. That took place at a VWAP of sixty three point two one one. Um, the week had a rally midweek, uh, and CME open interest didn't reduce noticeably, implying some short covering. Probably a little bit too early to figure out what that meant for um, levered funds and so on, but it could be that uh, they, they exited slightly. Um, the looking forward at what the RBA has been uh, talking about post you know the last rise and so on. They very clearly signaled the, the need for further hikes to combat rising inflationary pressures. Um, the year-end inflationary expectations about eight percent. That's moved higher, a little bit higher from where people um, targeted it before. Uh, problem is, I think that makes it difficult. I mean, the RBA isn't isn't in any kind of unique situation, or I don't think they're in a unique situation. Um, all central banks, you know, find it a difficult uh, path to navigate. Is that you're seeing rising rates uh, feed through into household, uh, uh, you know, uh, balance sheets and household expenses, and you're seeing clear inflation. Both those things are going to dent household consumption expectations. Are for a much slower year, like one and a half percent compared to three percent growth next year. Um, so, on the other hand, the RBA sees wage pressure. Wage pressure is broadly expected to move to three point nine percent by the end of next year. And carry on that way. So um, that's kind of a good thing in the sense that hopefully real wages won't get uh, as uh, uh, 
hurt as they would otherwise do. But you can see where there's this kind of trade-off between, you know, how a household's doing in, term, in the face of rising uh, cost pressures. Um, and at the same time, you know, of course, wages, there's, there's decent wage pressure as well. All right, Nick, that brings us to our key takeaways of today's conversation. And I'd like to basically um, reiterate a point that you made that we don't really have an answer to yet. Uh, But essentially, uh, there's been a lot of jumping at shadows of when the Fed will pivot because there is just this expectation that they must pivot because they are raising rates on such a steep straight line up. However, I completely agree with you that I don't think equity markets have factored in yet that the uh, Fed is going to continue uh, rising rates and that the pivot is still some time away. Uh, However, I would be very interested to know what your key takeaways or even a new topic you might want to introduce us to. This time I won't. Uh, this time I won't introduce uh, a uh, new topic and a completely. The takeaway for me is that there's a little bit more clarity, of course, as we move along. A little more clarity around the timing pathway. Um, you know, the Fed is going to be aware of lagging effects. They are going to be aware of the impact of. I think it's the largest cumulative tightening phase in 42 years. Haven't flinched or walked away from moving higher as necessary, and it's really important to the Fed. Um, and, and we're seeing evidence that this is still the case, that, that expectations remain anchored, and, uh, and, and, and we believe they, they seem pretty well anchored. Um, the Fed will be very keen to make sure that things, that, that, that inflationary expectations do remain anchored, and that's why they're um, still sort of walking a fairly, uh, well, very aggressive path, pathway. That pivot will happen one day, but it's not happening at the... Um, the, the, the sort of as perhaps as early as, uh, as, as as some thought. So yeah, I, I think that's that's the most important takeaway. You know, they kept the seventy five basis points. That's what it was expected, um, and the terminal rates that you know we'd kind of thought were going to move higher, they have moved higher. That's that's pretty much it. I think from from what my takeaways. <laughs> That is an excellent point and a great place to leave our podcast for the day. Nick, it is absolutely wonderful to not just see, uh, not to speak with you, but just to be in the same room with you. Uh, we have to do this more often. I want to say uh, thank you very much for your insights and I look forward to our next podcast. Yeah, me too, Shay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to get a better understanding of the technical indicator Nick uses, the Ichimoku Cloud. It's available on most trading platforms. Alternatively, you can check the show notes over at abcrefinery.com forward slash podcast. Here you can sign up to receive more information from Nick Frappel, including his monthly report where he incorporates technical analysis alongside macro market commentary. That's all from us today at ABC Refinery. We look forward to seeing you next time.